Welcome to Crossroads Church in Rowlett. We're so glad you're here. Join us here for our weekly sermons or visit crossroadsrowlett.org for more information. All right, are you ready? There we go. Listen, I'm amped up this morning. I just want to give you a fair warning. Um, I'm pretty excited. Uh, God's laid some stuff in my heart. It's been, it's been uh, messing with me, and now I get to help see it mess with you. And so uh, I'm excited for what God is going to teach us, and I just wanted to start with that question of are you ready? And our typical response is really, yeah, we're ready, but ready for what? See, here's the question I want you to start with. God, what are you wanting me to do? God, what do you want me to do? Now, there's another question I would ask as a church, God, what do you want us to do? But I want you to ask the question, God, what do you want me to do? Let me tell you what Satan is okay with. Satan is completely okay with a bunch of sleepy Christians gathering every Sunday morning for a nap. And I mean that. Like, Satan doesn't have to mess with a church full of people that will sleepwalk through a life they call Christianity and do nothing active and take no risks. Let me tell you, I think Satan is terrified that the church wakes up to the reality of who they are because the Bible says that God is the one who instilled this group of people as an army, not just as a family, but as an army to take ground and the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. Which means that what Satan is terrified of is a bunch of Christians waking up. And what he's okay with is a bunch of people sleeping who claim to know Jesus. C.S. Lewis, the great preacher, would say this. He goes, he goes, most of the churches are laying down asleep and Satan does nothing more than crouch over them to brush away even a gnat from their face that it would land on them and wake them up to their power. And this morning, what I'm hoping for is some people to wake up to what God wants to do in their life, and it starts by asking the question, God, what do you want me to do? What do you want us to do? We don't want to be asleep at the wheel as a church. We want to seize the moment. And so that's why I want to tell you, I want to encourage you, you heard this earlier, but if you, um, and there's a reason we're doing this today, um, I've got some tools on here that we're going to use. If you have never downloaded the app from this church, please do so now, because you're going to be looking at two things on it that are specific to the message today. Um, if you don't know where that is, go to any app store, search Crossroads Roulette, you can pull it up, and uh, if you've got it, make sure you pull down or refresh it, because I want to make sure that you are looking at what we're looking at together today here in just a minute. Uh, <clears throat> so... A few weeks ago, I did a little bit of a, of a vision message, and I want to go back to it just for a moment, where I told you that we as a church have this, this feeling, this pulling that God has going on in our life. I had an um, elder meeting at my house this week, and I, I absolutely loved it. It was a challenging and powerful time, but until 10.30 that night, we were there together, we talked together, we met together, we prayed together. And the question I started with, with them was, where do you feel God calling us as a church? And I'm asking you that very question this morning. Because I want us unified when we go. One of the, what, I, what I talked about a few weeks ago is that we feel called to release the church, which means that we have a bunch of ongoing ministries at Crossroads, and we, right now, are trying to infuse more people and more resources into them. And the reason is because we have a lot of ministries in this church right now that are doing a fantastic job. And we've got more people coming into them. I don't know if you've noticed, if you look around the church, there's a lot of new people here, just even in the last couple of months. 
And we're so excited about that. But that means that we want to make sure our kids' ministry, we want to make sure our, our student ministry, our young adults, all the way through it, every generation, and, we, and I mean that. People ask me all the time, like, what, uh, this is the weirdest question, by the way, as a pastor, what demographics are you guys trying to reach? Human. Every human being. If you're going, well, are you trying to reach 80-year-olds? Yes. Man, if you're, if you're rolling around here and you're like, well, I'm 93, then praise God. We need some 93-year-old wisdom in this place. There is a gift and there is usage of every person at every age. Can we, just, can we get a good amen, church? That is good for us. We want them all. I love looking up here and just in the worship team this morning, and you've got some 20-somethings. And Jeff... And, and Jeff's crushing it on the base over there, man. I just think that's so cool. We want to be releasing the church that God has got. And I'm not saying that Crossroads is better than any other church. We're not. There's a lot of great churches out there, but we've been asked to steward this one. And we want to release it in ministry. Second thing, we want to revive our city. In the last 10 years, we have been a part of sending out two plant churches, one in Fort Worth and one down in the Saginaw, kind of Mesquite area. We feel called to plant some more. We're hoping to plant one or two churches and get those started in this year. That's going to require a lot of work. That means that we're not just about building up what God is doing at 7900 Chisa in Rowlett. We want to be about the work of the kingdom all over the place. We also believe that reviving the city means all their local missions. It means that also things are happening here. And yes, we are looking at a building program. This building is getting maxed out all the time, all the time. And yet we're not done with expansion of ministries. We want to launch sports ministry. We want to expand our school and our Mother's Day Out program. We want Regen, which is already taking over most of the campus, to take over more of the campus. We want to see more and more of those ministries come alive, and we need space to do it. Right? I mean, it's so cool in our church. We're so utilized that this year we had, we had one room that people went, that one doesn't look used, and four different ministries asked for it. We're, gonna, we're like, we'll figure it out, man. I'm excited about that. Not only that, we see it in our local missions. How many of you have ever been a part of the Big Give or Serve Day or any local missions in the Rowlett area? Man, if you've been a part of that with us, that is a key to our church. And we will, listen, I'm telling you, the heart of our church, we will not ever stop being that. Not only do we want to revive our city, we want to restore hope to the world. We have ministries that go out from here all the time. Our foster and adoption ministry, our Thrive ministry, um, our schools, are, are, that's going out into families that are not, many of them are not connected to a church or to the Lord. And then at the same time, we have missional ministries all over the place and looking for more. Spain, Germany, India, Africa, as a matter, and that's just a few. As a matter of fact, can I just tell you, on February 12th, the day after the Super Bowl, there's a team of, like, I don't know, I remember how many exactly, 15 or 16 of us that are loading up on a plane and going over to Uganda. Can I just ask you to pray for that trip as we go? It's going to be an exciting time. Man, I'm, exci I don't, I'm excited God is moving in our church. Are you excited about it, church? I'm pumped. To, thank you. Some people are like, oh, we're waking up now. Here we go. All right, good. That's awesome. So man, I am, I am pumped for that. Right now, there are people around the world, don't miss this church, there are people around the world right now that are starting to recognize that everything the secular script told them, everything the secular script told them and promised about abundance and fulfillment, it's not panning out. And so they're looking for real answers, and more people are coming to church 
for the first time in a long time. Gen Z was a generation that people went. It was one of the first generations where less of them went to church than the generation that raised them. You know what's so great right now? Gen Z is the generation taking the biggest rise in returning back to churches. Man, that's pra praise God for that. That's an awesome thing. There is movement of God all over the world. Something is coming. I've said this to people. I'm not, and if you've been here for a long time, you know, I'm not like, well, I've got, I've got some sort of pastoral spidey sense tingling. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, and if you've been around here, I think you get it too. And it's not just here, but there's a, something stirring. And in our generation, I don't want to miss being a part of it. I don't want our church to miss being a part of it. And so I want to encourage you. I think one of the greatest things that leadership can do, and I'm between our staff and elders and so many, I'm, one definition, not, not the only, but one definition of leadership, I believe, is providing clarity in times of uncertainty. And I would tell you, the Bible says in Proverbs 29, 18, where there is no vision, the people perish. And so I want you to know that as a church, we are seeking God every day for vision. Because we want to provide clarity and uncertainty. And so I'm going to ask you to do a couple things. This is a little bit different. By the way, this is just the intro to the message. Yeah, that got some people nervous. All right, very good. The first thing I want you to do is I want you to pray. I want you to commit to pray. We're not just going to commit to pray. We're actually going to, hold on, we're going to get crazy. We're going to pray right now. And we're going to pray right now, God give us a vision for the immediate and the long-term future of my life. God give us a vision for the immediate and long-term future of our church. We're going to pray that together. Right now, if you would, just bow your head and close your eyes. I want to start with you and your life and me and mine. And right now, just pray a prayer. God, give me vision for the immediate and the long-term future of my life. Now, if you would, I want you to pray for our church. God, give us an immediate and a long-term vision for the future of our church. God, we don't want to follow our way. We want to follow yours. This is not our church. It's yours. And God, I pray that we would be faithful to follow you every step of the way. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me tell you a second thing, still in the intro, by the way. Let me tell you a second thing that I need you to do is I need to, I'm going to convince you, hopefully in the next couple minutes, that every single person in this room is connected to some sort of small group. And I'm going to help make it happen right now. As a matter of fact, I want you to pull out your app and I want you to open it up. It should look like this when you open it up. If you're already in a connect group or life group, by the way, we've changed some terminology, so let me help clean it up for you. We've always called every group connect groups. That's not true anymore. Connect groups are now short-term groups. Life, life groups are long-term groups. Is that simple enough for everybody? So what I want to talk about right now is connect groups. Short-term, five weeks. Huge commitment. Five weeks. But here's the deal. We've got tons of people that have come to our church in the last few months. And you know what I hear from people all, all the time? Man, I love the church. Love that they're trying to find a way to get connected. What we want to do is best, the best job we can to help make that happen. We'll never do it perfectly, but we're going to try to do it as best we can. And so here's what I want you to do. If you click on there, you'll find a blue graphic. It says Wednesdays at Crossroads. If you click on that, 
you will see a list of groups. We are limiting them to 12 per group. Smaller groups are better to get to know people, to feel connected, all that kind of stuff. You'll find descriptions of all those groups. At the bottom, you see a place that says register here, where you can see which ones are already full. There, matter of fact, here, let me tell you something real cool. This is not in my notes. I'm just going to do this, okay? So um, we had somebody come up to us before service. Uh, it's a person, English is their second language. Um, Mari Gautier has been coming here for a long time. She went on a mission trip to Spain with us as well. And she told JD, she's like, I really want to do a Spanish-speaking group. And we were like, man, that's fantastic. So we added it this morning. Um, where Elvis, are you in here? Oh, there, Elvis, stand up for a minute. Um, this is Elvis, okay? Elvis is in the building this morning, guys, right here. Um, <laughs> So this is Elvis. Elvis has been going to our church now for, for many months. Uh, he and his, his, listen, he's much better half. Okay. His wife right there, she's amazing. Um, but Elvis, uh, Elvis is, for uh, one of our associations, he is the, um, the, the, the state missions director for Hispanic churches. How many, how many Hispanic churches um, are, are planted in the state of Texas that you're overseeing right now? 16. Okay, so, and we're hoping um, by the grace of God that one day we'll add another one right here on this campus. Um, but I want to tell you, Elvis and I were talking just a couple of days ago, and he was like, man, we need to get a Spanish-speaking small group. And then this morning, Marty Gautier comes in and goes, hey, I want to do a Spanish-speaking small group. So I told Elvis, somebody beat you to it, bro. Uh, like, like uh, listen, and I'm just going, like, that is so amazing. I'll give Elvis just a hand, just tell him we appreciate what he does. So I bring that up to go, there's something for everybody. If you're like, I would love to join one, but no habla ingles. See, si, you can join one right here, okay? In Espanol. So it's going to be great. I would encourage you even right now, start signing up. We had a whole bunch of people sign up during the last service. Um, I'm going to move on. Um, still in the intro. Here we go. Sorry. We want you to pray. We want you to get into a small... And let me just... I'm going to belabor this for a little while. Here's the reason we say that is because you need... You need a small group of people for the life transformation that you are searching for. You need accountability. You need a community. You need a connection. It's not just so we can say we got X number of people in small groups. We're not analytics church. It's because we know you need it. Jesus gathered 12 guys with him. If he was in one, you should be. And so I just want to encourage you in that. The next thing is serve. We want you to max out Every ounce of energy out of your life in this temporary world, don't hold back, open your hands to God, and then watch what he will do. There is an urgent need for service in the kingdom and the ministry of God right now in our world, and now I'm out of the intro. Here we go. How do we wake up to the moment? I don't want you to miss this, and I'm going to go pretty fast here. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, faith shows the reality of what we hope for, the evidence of things we cannot see. So in order for me to get to service, I need to start with where it's rooted, and it's rooted in faith. There's two words that are very important that I want you to see in that. That's the word show and the word evidence, okay? Show and evidence. This isn't cross my fingers and we'll see if God shows up, and then I'll take a big sigh if he does. That's not this. God wants to show us. He wants to give us evidence of who he is and the reality of the power that he is operating in. And here's how you access it. We take a step of faith first, we trust first, and then he will provide the evidence. Years ago, there was a movie, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Big Indiana Jones uh, fan. Got to go watch those all the time as a kid. There's a scene in uh, the Last Crusade that really kind of beautifully depicts this. I want to show it to you real quick. Go ahead. Impossible. Nobody can jump this. 
If you want to see how the rest of that ends, go to Netflix or something later, okay? <laughs> Here's what, not, what I'm not saying. I'm not encouraging you to go jump off cliffs. That's not what we're doing here. But what I am saying is I love the illustration. He steps, and then he sees the evidence. And that is what God wants to do and will do in your life. Hebrews chapter 11 is filled with men and women who took a step. They trusted God, and they lived in the awe of what God did. And I want to just tell you... Without faith, it is impossible for you to even please God. Then some people might hear that and go, that's harsh. Where'd you get that, Jason? The Bible. Hebrews eleven six says, without faith, it is what, church? Impossible to please God. It's impossible to tap into the power and the presence of God. It's impossible to be awakened to what he wants you to do without a step of faith. If you want the abundant life that Jesus offers, take a step of faith, and then God will do something in you and then he'll do something through you. God's going to first do something in you, and then he'll do something through you. I don't know about you, but I tend to want to fast forward to through me and not so much have something done in me. For example, this plays out in other areas of my life. I have run seven marathons. I would love to run another. I just do not want to train for it. I would love to take my family on the most incredible vacation ever, but I do not want to pay or plan. I would love to have deep and meaningful friendships, and yet often I forget to invest in those friendships. We do that with God all the time, and I want us to be awake to what God wants to do in us, and then we can experience the power of what God will do through us. Because when you play it safe, you leave no room for God to flex and show off in the amazing ways that he wants to in our lives. It starts when we put him first. If you're going, how do I take that first step? It starts when you put him first. When you put him first, everything else in your life will go into order, and then he'll be able to bless the rest of it. And what I mean is that God's not giving you a trouble-free life. What God's saying is, in the trouble, he will be with you, and he will be with you through it, and he can even bless you through it. He'll be there. He'll bless that. But when we give God, when we give God less than our first and best, he cannot do the same with it because it violates his own character. And it puts us at risk when we give him less than our first and best. If you're going, what do you mean? Let me explain. This is some theological terms. You can write them down, do some deep dives later. But I'm going to give you three. And the first one is, this is how it violates the character of God to accept less than your first and best. 
First, it starts with the immutability of God. The immutability of God means God cannot get better. God has always been at his best. If God was walking around in Barnes and Noble, you're never going to see him at the self-help section. Like that is never going to be a part of who he is. God is best. He cannot get better. The immutability of God is important. Then there's the omniscience of God. It's a compound word. Omni means all. Science meaning knowledge, which means not only can he not get better, he knows everything. Like he knows Whatever you're going, man, I don't know. I'm kind of keeping this hidden. I'm not really sharing with anybody. I'm pretty sure not even God knows. He knows. He knows all of it. At no point. You know, you ever had that happen when you're walking around and all of a sudden the thought pops in your head you never had before? That's never happened with God. God has never been walking around and went, whoa, I never thought about that before. That is amazing. Oh, myself. He knows the immutability of God, the omniscience of God. But listen, here's an important word. It's the preeminence of God. The preeminence of God means that God cannot be second. It violates his character. God cannot be second. He is first of all, above all, and before all. And so we must put him in that place so that he can bless our life. He will not bless you putting him second because he would be promoting idolatry and ultimately it would hurt you. It kind of looks like this. Here's how it would put us at risk. As a dad, I want to bless my kids. Like, and my, my daughters both love going to the, like, the fancy coffee shops and getting the fancy coffees. You know the ones that are like, they're like, like 1% coffee? And it's a, it's, a, it's a frozen frappuccino, caramel, crunch, chocolatey thing with whipped cream and all the sprinkly things on top. Anybody know what I'm talking about here? If you, if you, know, if you know you've been there, they're like $43, like one, like one of those cups. <laughs> and my daughters love to get one of those. And so every once in a while, we're like, hey, you want us to go get, we'll go get coffee. And they're like, ooh, get the caramel chocolatey frappuccino thing. And we're like, great. Now, here's the deal. This has not happened, but imagine if this happened. Imagine if I pulled through with Addison and she's like, I want one of these. And I'm like, well, I'm not getting one. I'm trying, I'm, tr- this is legit. I'm trying to lose weight, trying to get back in shape, trying to do that. Cause I don't want, I don't want to get one of those. Uh, Cause I can't afford the calories. Okay. So she gets one. I pay for it. And I go, Hey babe, can I, can I just, I just want to try it. Can I have a sip? Now, she looked at me and went, no, mine. (laughs) Sucker. (laughs) Let me tell you something. I'm not trying to brag, uh, but I could shower you with Frappuccinos if I wanted to. But I would never do it if it wrecks your heart in the process. See, if I give her a gift and she does not understand and appreciate the giver, then me doing it more would simply continue to build up something that is ultimately destroying her life. I wouldn't do it with her and God won't do it with you. It's important that we understand that God does not want to put us at risk. If maybe you're here today and you don't experience the power and the presence of God, maybe you're stressed and overwhelmed. Maybe it's because you have not taken a step of faith or maybe it's because you refuse to give God your first and your best. Instead, invite him in to everything. Put him as the first and the best. And I bet you something incredible will change in your life. It's not going to necessarily make everything sunshine and rainbows, but it is going to give you the blessing of God even when you go through the difficult times. See, a key indicator of our faith is going to be this question. Are you generous? What 
are you willing to give? Of your time, of your talent, of your treasure, of your service, what are you willing to give? Jesus gives us a great example. He leads with generosity. God so loved the world that he gave, that he is generous to us. Generosity is not a matter of checkbooks or schedules. Generosity is a matter of the heart. We give our time, our service, our talent, all of it to what we love. We need to be careful with where we use it. It's supposed to make an impact for the kingdom. Here's the way I'll illustrate this. I was, I was, I was reading this uh, great story when I was getting ready for this message. It was about a young man who, uh, he said he loved to play Monopoly, and the person that taught him to play Monopoly was his grandma. And he loved playing with grandma. The only problem is his grandmother was the most ruthless Monopoly player in the world. Like she understood the assignment. She knows that in the game of Monopoly, the intent is you control the board, buy all the properties, so everybody owes you. He said, as a kid, I just liked holding the money. So he didn't buy anything. And little by little, dollar after dollar, she took everything that he had. And she would say to him, one day, you'll learn how to play the game. Well, he said as he grew up, he started playing Monopoly with other people, and he got real good at it, and he couldn't wait for the moment where he went back to Grandma's house. And he had a showdown with Grandma. He said, I remember it happened at Marvin Gardens. <laughs> it was at Marvin Gardens when I finally had taken everything that she had. It was all mine. I had exposed her vulnerabilities. I had driven her off the board. This old lady, this grandma, I had destroyed her. And it was the greatest moment of my life. He said, I flaunted and danced and all this stuff. And then finally, my grandmother looked at me and said, there's one last thing I need to teach you about the game. And he said, what? And she said, it all goes back in the box. And he said, please don't, let's frame it. He said, I want a little caption under that says, I destroyed grandma. <laughs> and she said, no, see, none of this is really yours. Players come and players go. And in the end, it all goes back in the box. Church, whatever you have, it all goes back in the box. The question is, while it's out, what do you do with it? How will you honor God with it? Are you going to trust God? See, trusting God requires faith, and that faith will demand activity. The next part of your notes, if you're looking at that, is a key indicator of our generosity is going to be, are you serving? Are you serving in your life? Are you serving in your church? Here at Crossroads, this is the heartbeat of our church. I'm going to look at a passage of Scripture out of 2 Corinthians with you in chapter 9 here in just a moment. Let me give you a little bit of background to this text. Paul is going to encourage generosity. He's talking to the church at Corinth, and he's going to try to get them to be generous to other churches in Jerusalem. And he's going to use an example of the Macedonian church. They've been going through unbelievable trials and extreme poverty, and yet they are still generous. They still give their time, their talent, and their treasure, and they do it with joy. You go, that math doesn't add up. In God's economy, it does. And the Corinthians are way better off, but they refuse to be generous. They're stingy. Please, when I'm saying this, don't hear me pivoting towards a money sermon. We, we'll get to financial stewardship later in the year, but I want to talk about the fact that this is generosity of not just money, but more. It's the whole of my life. 
The word for generosity here is a word that translates into fellowship, participation, and contribution. How do I fellowship with people? How do I participate with people? How do I contribute to the work of God amongst these people? A lot of us look for an out when God is calling us to serve. <clears throat> Where you say, God, I want to participate. I want to be generous. But this is not a good season for me right now. God, if you'll just wait until whatever, then I'll do it. Can I tell you, church, there will always be circumstances that will keep you from saying yes to whatever God is asking you to say yes to. And if you're waiting for your circumstances to change before you engage with God's generosity, you're going to miss out on some incredible ways that he wants to demonstrate his power through your life now. And I don't want you to miss that. It's a lot like this. How many of you, uh, especially dads, um, had this habit of when your kids were little, when they were little babies, and you'd throw them up in the air, see how much air you could get under them? And let's be honest, how many dads, every once in a while, you'd try to beat your own record? That was three feet. Let's go for four. Like a man, you just chunk them up there. And when they're little, what do they do while they're flying through the air? <laughs> they're just happy as can be because they're dumb. <laughs> they have no idea of the danger that they are in. They have no idea of the risk that is being taken with their life. They're just stupid. Like that's just who they are. And then one day they become aware and here's how you know it, is when you grab the same child that you've thrown into the air 3,000 times, and suddenly, did you just get made of Velcro all of a sudden? What happened here? And they won't let you throw them anymore. I remember this happened with Caitlin, and I said, Caitlin, do you trust Daddy? Yes, Daddy. Can I throw you? No. See, we do the same thing with God. God has proven over and over again, you can be trusted, he can be trusted, he can be trusted, he can be trusted, he can be trusted. And he says, do you trust me? And we go, yes. And we come to church and we wave our hands in the air and we say, I trust him, I trust him, I trust him. And he says, can I throw you into some service that I need you to do? And you go, no. I want to see this play out in scripture, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. The point is this. The person who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and the person who sows generously will also reap generously. That makes sense, right? Like you would never walk up to a farmer and go like, hey, what are you doing? Well, I'm waiting for my crops to grow. Well, it's awesome. What'd you plant? Nothing. Uh, you're going to be waiting a while, man. If in Texas, weeds, that's what you're going to harvest. Like it's not going to go good. We understand that in agriculture. That's why he uses it as the example. But the truth is, it's also every other thing you invest your life into. What you invest your time into, what you invest your money into, what you invest your gifts and your acts of service into, if you sow sparingly, you will reap sparingly. But if you sow generously, you'll reap generously. It's amazing. He says in verse 7, each person should do as he decided in his heart. See, it's not, it's not a bank account issue. It's not a calendar issue. It's a heart issue. He says, whatever you do, not reluctantly or out of compulsion. So in a moment, I'm going to be pressing you in some areas of service. If you go, well, I'm responding, but I just feel guilty, then don't respond. We want conviction, not guilt. If the Holy Spirit goes, hey, I'm asking you to do this, then you should respond to it. If you go, well, Jason talked me into something. Don't do that. I'm not smart. 
Let the Holy Spirit speak to you. He says, whatever you're going to do, however you're going to sow, don't do it reluctantly or out of compulsion, since God loves a what, church? A cheerful giver. I say this all the time in church, and sometimes people freak out. If you even tie, if you give financially to this church and you don't enjoy it, stop. Like, it should be a joy to do it. And so I just want, in every area, every area, God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make every grace overflow to you. So that in every way, what's the next word, church? Man, isn't that a great word? Listen to what God's saying right here. Always having everything you need, you may excel in every good work. See, a key indicator of our generosity is are you serving, but a key indicator of our serving is do we have a spirit of anticipation? Do we have a spirit of anticipation? I want to look at the most popular, most famous verse in this text, and I want to bring it to life for you the way that it came to life for me a couple of weeks ago, and that's this. He says, give how? Cheerfully, right? The word cheerfully... In the Greek is the word hilaros, which is where we get the English word hilarious. So we think what he's saying here is that God loves people who give in such a way that it's just hysterically funny. And I could make an argument for why that might be the case at times. But can I tell you, in the Greek, there's another definition of the word hilaros. It is at the ready. On the balls of your feet, set, alert to what God is asking you to do. As a matter of fact, I want to reread this text with that in mind. Do not give reluctantly or under response to pressure because God loves a giver who is at the ready. Jason, I need some of your time. I'm at the ready. Jason, I need you to take some of your gifts and put them into service in this area. Yes, Father, I am at the ready. Jason, I need whatever, whatever resource you plug it in, whatever resource God asks for, you go, I'm ready. I am at the ready. I am right here. God, I'm just waiting for you to say go, and I'm going. I am at the ready. That's the generosity of our life, where God looks at you at any moment and says, this is where I need you, this is where I need you, here's where I need you to move, and you go, yes, sir, I am at the ready to give my life in whatever capacity you ask, because you gave your life for mine. And I've been crucified with Christ, it's no longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me, and the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God. That's the life of generosity that we are being called to, compelled to, church, that we would give and that we would be at the ready. This is God's awakening. This is God's speaking. This is God making us alert to his calling. Why? I want you to write this down in your notes. The commitments we make shape who we become. Your life will be the sum of your commitments over a lifetime. It will not be the sum of your good intentions. 
It will be some of what you commit to. Look at verse 10. He says, now the one, God, who provides the seed for the sower and bread for food will also provide and multiply your seed and increase the harvest of your righteousness. He says, I want you to give because it's going to do something exceptional, something that is going to multiply. And we have to understand in order to do that, the first thing I have to understand when I make a commitment is that God already owns it. It's his anyway. I heard a pastor say this and it blew my mind. I just want to share it with you. He said this. He said, listen, the reason that you don't serve using your gift is because you think it's yours. The reason you don't serve those kinds of people with your gift is because you think it's yours. The reason that you don't go where God has called you to go because it's a little uncomfortable and you don't use your gift there is because you think it's yours. So if it's yours, it's mine to decide how I use it. Problem is it's not yours. They're God's gifts put into us for a purpose. They are here to build up the body, to reach people, to bring health and healing to a world, to make us effective. In verse 11, it says, you will be enriched in every way for all your generosity. In other words, if you do this, give away your life, it's going to do something amazing and will enrich you as well. It says, which produces thanksgiving to God through us. So other people are going to give thanks to God because of what we do for the ministry of this what, church? Service. It's not only supplying the needs of the saints, but it's also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. See, this isn't prosperity theology. Prosperity theology teaches that I'm going to give. In other words, I'm going to be temporarily generous so that God can make me rich. That is just not in the Bible. The Bible teaches generosity theology, which means I'm going to be a blessing for the kingdom of God with what he already gave me right now. And that goes way beyond money. So whatever you have, you are a steward of it, and your intent is to be a conduit of his generous grace in the world. So you plant, you serve, you do it, and you do it with a sense of expectation. And so I just want to ask you, I'm going to ask you the hardest question of the day. I want you to evaluate your life just for a moment. If you were God, would you entrust you with more? When you think about how you've handled your gifts, when you think about how you've handled your talents, when you think about how you've handled your service, when you think about how you've handled the resources of your life, if you were God, would you give you any more? Would you entrust you with any more? 2 Corinthians 9 verse 13 says, because of the proof provided by this ministry. Because of the what? Because of the proof. There's evidence that because of the proof provided for this ministry, they will glorify God for your obedient confession of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This person, he's saying, man, when you use it and you use it right, it is for the glory of God and people will confess, people will come to faith. It is going to be an amazing, amazing thing. Those are the kind of people that get entrusted with more. He says, for your generosity and sharing with them and with everyone, as they pray on your behalf, they will have deep affection for you because of the surpassing grace of God in you. Thanks be to God for whose? His indescribable gift. 
Church, I'm almost done, but I want you to hear this. Generosity does not just fund the mission of the church. Generosity is the mission of the church. Our calling is to do what we saw our Father in heaven do and lay down our life as a sacrifice for others. That is the church. That is what we do, and it's what we are called to. God is desiring to find people fully surrendered to him, and when that happens, you can be a part of amazing things. Now, some of you might be going, not me, I've screwed up too many things, I'm too bad, I've made too many mistakes. I just want to give you some information that might make you feel more comforted today. God, on this side of eternity, has only and exclusively partnered with fallen, broken people just like you. So you're in good company. He rescues, and then he is the one that brings service and ministry through you to other people. And so I want you to think about this for a minute. When you serve, the gospel never stops with you. When you are at the ready, the, your life becomes a highway, not a cul-de-sac. The mission does not stop with you. I'm going to do this. This will be an interactive part of our service uh, as I wrap up here in a few minutes. But I want you to do this. We're going to do this by show of hands just to make sure that you're all capable of it. Can you please raise your hand just right now? Okay. And then there's those few people who are like, I'm not playing this stupid game. That's fine. Okay. Go ahead and put them down. I'm going to ask you, and when you raise your hand, I want you to do it like that. If it applies to you, I want your hand all the way up, okay? So I'm just going to ask you this. How many of you in this room right here would say that you met Jesus through the ministry of this church? Raise your hand all the way up. Look around the room, man. That's a lot of folks. How many of you, you put those down, how many of you would say, man, I grew up in church and stuff, but it is at crossroads that I was re reacquainted with Jesus Christ? Raise your hands. Again, all over this room. Raise your hand if, if you have experienced some sort of healing or restoration to your body or to your relationships or marriage in this, in this place. Raise your hand. Lots of people. How many of you came into this church, and again, lots of good churches, I'm just, this is ours to steward. How many of you had no hope and came in here and you have discovered hope? I want to ask this, how many of you have been freed from addiction or have had some other spiritually significant moment happen through the ministries of this church? Raise your hands. Man, can I tell you what's so cool about that? You walked through the door at one point and you got to be the recipient of somebody else's generous act of service. It didn't stop with them. It went to you. And so my question is, who's going to walk through the door next that God's calling you to do the same thing for. Just think about who the next person to walk through the door might be. Maybe it's a single mom who can barely keep her head above water and she can't find any hope, but she finds hope and healing when she runs into you. God uses you. Maybe a former convict who has been trying to hide his past can discover a program like Regen on Monday night and find out that just like the thief on the cross, there are new beginnings in Christ Jesus. Maybe a teenage girl who has been wrestling with her body image, she's been cutting and struggling with her identity and purpose, that she gets to find out that she is not who media says she is, she's not who culture says she is, she is exactly who God says she is. And maybe she gets into our student ministry or into student regen and something transformational happens. Maybe there's a married couple, and we've seen this happen, that's why it's an illustration. Maybe there's a married couple who drove to church in separate cars because they're on the brink of divorce. And they're going to, because they encounter somebody generously serving the gospel, they get to experience something supernatural and find healing, and things start to grow where it was only barren before. 
Maybe it's a broken man who lost everything because of his addiction, but he finds freedom from those chains because of Jesus Christ. Maybe it's an older couple, and they came in going, you know what? Um, just feels like as we've gotten older, God can't really do anything with me anymore. So I guess I'm done, and I'll just watch all the other people do stuff. And those people find out that God wants to use them to reach generations of people with their wisdom and experience. And God wants to use them, believe it or not, on mission with other people their age who still don't know Jesus yet. Maybe it's an abused woman who walks in the door and because you see her, she feels seen. And she realizes that God grieves over how she was treated and she finds healing. Maybe it's a child or a teenager that respond to God calling them into ministry at this church. Just imagine what happens from that? What if hundreds of people who had been hurt by other people claiming to know God walked into a church like this and it renewed their hope in Jesus and their hope in the church? And what if, and we've seen a lot, but it just, just imagine what if we over our lifetime together got to see thousands of people lowered into the waters of baptisms and resurrected as new creations. I believe that that is on the table because of today. If a group of people will say, we are at the ready. We will serve. We are anticipating we believe that I'm alive right now in this generation, in this time in history, as God's ambassador to a broken world. Second Chronicles chapter uh, 16, verse 9, growing up was one of my favorite verses. It says, the eyes of the Lord search to and fro throughout the earth to find a man whose heart is completely his. That God is looking for men and women who say, I, you can have it all. And God goes, do you have any idea what I can do with the life that gives me everything? It'll blow you away. God is looking for committed, surrendered, awakened people, people who will say, I will trust God, I am willing to move with him, and God will take you and use it. See, I believe what we do in the next couple of minutes of your life is going to really matter. Here's the challenge for today. Number one, don't miss this. As I talk about serving, I need you to understand that this is a call 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. It is in your workplace. It is in your classroom. It is in your neighborhood. It is in your home. It is in every one of those places. And so if you're going, man, I, where do I sign up to serve? Uh, life. <laughs> serve in all of it. Serve your spouse. Serve your kids. Serve your neighbors. Serve all those places. And you go, whew, that is a relief. I thought he was going to ask us to sign up for stuff at church. Number two. <clears throat> Understand that the local church is supposed to... My job, according to Scripture, is to equip the saints for the work of what? Ministry. My job is to help you discover who God made you to be so you can do your job. My job is for you to serve, is for you to get active. And so if you're going, man, I, 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 do I really need to serve in the local church? I told you at the beginning of this message, God has put a burden on our heart. Many of you share that same burden. It, we need people now, and we're certainly going to need people if we grow. And so I would ask you to go back to the app for a moment. We put something together just for you. If you scroll back to the homepage, right at the top, you will see a graphic that says rally cry. And then you will see the phrase at the ready. If you click on that, 
It is a very simple form. And under it, there are some, it's not all of our ministries, but it is some essential ministries that need help right now, today. See our kids, Awanas. Let me tell you, every time we have kids, teenagers, anywhere, we always need more help. And can I tell you something? I'm going I'm to just kind of speak my heart for a minute. If you just look up at me, I'll, I'll put you back on the list in a minute. There's a lot of places, and we've been guilty of it, where we've lowered the bar of serving. Where we've gone, if you'll just, I mean, just come serve once every three or four months, that would be, I, can I tell you, people aren't responding to lowering the bar of serving. You know what's weird? Is people have responded in our church when we've elevated it. Young people have responded when we've elevated it. Older people have responded when we've elevated what serving means. Everybody in the middle has started responding when we elevate. When we don't just go, you know what, if you can just give me like one time, that would be great. No, here's what I would like to encourage you to commit to. Commit to some sort of consistency for a year. Because what these ministries need, all of them, is people who will faithfully show up over and over again. Now, you might go, well, I can't do every week. Well, maybe that's every other week for you, but I'm saying don't make it a one-time deal. A one-time deal is actually causing more work. So commit to it. That's what we're asking. It's a lifestyle of service. See our kids, Awanas, student ministry, young adults ministry, our dream team. That's all the folks that greet you everywhere. Our hospitality team. That's all the people that make you feel at home. Our prayer team, our worship team, AV, facilities, our medical and safety team, our baptism team, and we have a special needs ministry called Thrive. All of these folks, all of those ministries, their ministry leaders told us right now, today, in this moment, they need help. Can I tell you, on a given week in this church, 800 to 1,000 people attend. We got plenty of people to get it all done, and I believe that when we plant our service, we will reap what we sow. I want God to do everything he wants. I want God to do everything he wants to do at Crossroads. I don't know what that looks like. It's not a number. It's not numeric. It's that. Whatever God wants to accomplish, that's what we want to have happen here. And I believe we get to be actively a part of that. If we sow generously, we will reap generously. Give our lives. Are you at the ready? Let's pray. God, thanks. Thanks for your message, and we pray that it's a challenge for all of us. God, I pray that we would respond to you. Even, even right now, God, as we think about what this means, as we think about what you've done for us, as we think about the call to service, God, we're about to, to sing a song that says, you've already won. Can we be reminded that we are serving from a place of victory? We are giving from a generosity, from a place of victory. That you've already won. You won the battle. You fought the fight. You destroyed and disarmed all of evil at the cross. And that's the message we serve to tell the world. That there's hope. There's freedom. There's forgiveness. There's love. There's joy. No, you're not going to get a perfect world in this life. But you will have a perfect God that walks every step with you and uses you to serve his purpose, his name, his glory, and his kingdom. God, I want to right now also just pray for every other church in our world, in our community that are also gathered right now, that are honoring you, they're teaching the Bible, and they are trying to do the same thing. God, I pray, I pray that you would not simply move at crossroads, but you would just move across the world. That we want to be a part of it, God. We love you and we trust you. 
And right now, God, we're going to sing in victory as people who are at the ready that we serve a God who has won the war. In Jesus' name, amen.